0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I want to challenge you tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would turn there, please. Uh, if you've been with us uh, thus far Tuesday, Wednesday night, uh, you know that we're looking in 1 Corinthians, so we dealt In chapter 1, with the theological foundation of uh, declaring his glory, which uh, Paul presents to us, the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, the power of Christ, and the invitation that Christ wants us to give. And then last night, we used that text at the end of chapter 1, where Paul springboards into the need of believers to have clarity about seeing the glory of Christ, and so we went To the Mount of Transfiguration, which Paul perhaps in that text was alluding to. Now we're skipping over to chapter 3. We're going to do a flashback into chapter 2 tonight, but we're looking at the topic that I've entitled The Challenge of Declaring His Glory. Because every one of us in this room struggles with sharing the gospel, every one of us in this room struggles with declaring His glory. We either struggle with uh, fear of man or we struggle with uh, maybe feeling that we're incompetent to do a really good job, and so we hesitate. But I want to deal tonight with the biggest problem that we as men have in declaring his glory, and that is the issue of carnality, because that is what Paul segues to in this text. He has spent two chapters talking about the wisdom of God and the power of God. And now he talks about the carnality of man because that is really where we are. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Let's pray as we open this wonderful text tonight. Father, I pray that you would take your word and use it in our hearts this evening, Lord, help us to admit our own carnality, Lord, and to be doing something about that by growing in grace and in knowledge of Christ so that we can be fed with meat and not with milk. Lord, help us to be changing into that image of Christ from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, and we will thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and if you know anything about Corinth, you know that they had multiple problems relating to the matter of declaring the glory of Christ. One of the problems they had was they glorified the communicators, and that's what we preached about the first two messages. Uh, Remember last night, Peter, James, and John thought they were really big stuff, and God had to show them that they really weren't big stuff. That's the problem that Corinthians had. And and it's easy for us, if we're not careful, to do the same thing. Now, those missionaries here know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes it is so easy in missions conference for the people to talk about how wonderful the missionaries are that we forget how great the Lord Jesus is. And I've got news for you. These missionaries are a bunch of sinners. They really are. And the reason I say that is because we are all sinners. At the foot of the cross. And Paul was dealing with that. These Corinthians, some of them said, You know, I'm after that Paul, that Paul guy. He's my hero. He is the greatest preacher in fundamentalism. I'm a Pauline follower. And others said, No, that Paul is a bum. I, I follow Apollos. Apollos is the Eloquent one. Paul is struggling in his speech, and he did. But Apollos can, can speak like the orators of the Greek gods. I am of Apollos. And then some of them got really spiritual and said, I am of Christ. And you can hear them saying it. And so they had a problem at Corinth because they were glorifying the communicators. And then they had another problem at Corinth, and that was they were glorifying the gifts that God gave the communicators. Some were glorying in their gifts of speaking in tongues and using them inappropriately. And by the way, tongues were only for the apostolic era, but even in the apostolic era, the Corinthians were using them wrongfully. They were glorying in them. They were glorying in all the gifts that they had, and and they were saying, my gift's better than your gift. And so all of the struggle of the Corinthians related to the problems they had as sinners in declaring his glory. And so now Paul puts his finger on the problem. They are carnal. And so Paul tackles this issue, and we want to do that tonight, and we want to talk about the carnal Christian. So let me ask you a question. Is there such a thing as a carnal Christian? And there are those today, there are those preachers, they write, they blog, who say there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. And I wonder why they have never studied 1 Corinthians. Because notice what Paul says, I, brethren, now what does the word brethren refer to? People who are saved, brothers in Christ. He said, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So we're going to have to find out what this thing called a carnal Christian is. We're going to have to define it, and thankfully Paul has done that. And we're going to see that in the first point in verse 1, that carnality obstructs the gospel message. Carnality obstructs the gospel message. Paul is going to contrast here in these verses, going back into chapter 2, three areas of the carnality of the Corinthians. Their character their capacity, and their conduct. So let's look at those. We're talking about the fact that carnality obstructs the gospel message. Number one, the character of the carnal Christian is contrary to the gospel message. Paul says in chapter 2, let's go back there, that there are three types of people in every church or every gathering of a church, okay? There are natural people who come to church. Those are the lost people who do not yet know the Lord. There are the spiritual people. We're going to read about those, and we'll define in a moment who those are. And then there are the carnal. So at any given service at Good News Baptist Church, there are natural people, there are spiritual people, and there are carnal people. And the carnal people obstruct the message of the gospel. So who is the natural man? Look at verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man is the unregenerate man, the man who does not even have the ability to perceive or understand spiritual things. I remember when I first got saved, I wondered, why doesn't everybody get saved? I mean, this is so wonderful, and it's so simple, and it's so clear. But the reality is lost people in their natural condition have had their eyes blinded by the God of this world, and they are in darkness because of even their own sin. Dr. Mark Minnick, who is a very dear friend of mine, is actually a pastor to the Petersons, he pastors in Greenville, South Carolina. We were freshmen in the same prayer group uh, when we were at Bob Jones University. He and I landed on campus, and we began arguing from day one. Neither of us knew anything, and we both were very opinionated, and so we argued a lot. I preached for him a few years ago at uh, Mount Calvary in Greenville, and I told his congregation that story, and I said that we don't argue anymore because he's come to all my positions. And... Uh, That's really not true, but anyway, it made a good story. But every three years in my adult ministry as a pastor, I would have my friend Mark Minnick in to preach. He would do Bible conferences and and special conferences. And I remember all of those, but one message he preached one night, I especially remember. And something he said struck me, and I've never forgotten it. He said, when you go to the grocery store, and you look across at that beautiful young lady who is checking you out, who has the bright eyes and the sweet smile, if she does not know Jesus Christ as her Savior, you are looking into eyes of total darkness. And folks, that is really true. We tend to forget that lost people are in darkness. And lost people are going to live like lost people. We are not very far from Washington, D.C., folks, and it should not surprise us that a city that is filled with many lost people are going to act like lost people. They are in darkness, and they do not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They can't even know them. That's the natural man. And so when somebody walks into your church that has spiked hair and a bone through their nose and tattoos all over their body, and they feel like a fish out of water, it's because they are. They're in darkness. But they need you to love them and to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. So who's going to reach those people that come to our church that are lost? Who's going to reach the community outside? It is the spiritual people, not the carnal, but the spiritual that are going to reach those people. So look with me who the spiritual are. Paul says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Now Paul here says that this person who is spiritual has the capacity of judgment. We don't have time to develop it tonight, but from all of the Old Testament and the New Testament teachings about wisdom and judgment, The spiritual man is the man who knows the word of God and is filled with the spirit of God. It is the growing Christian, we're going to find that, the one who is walking with Christ, who is spiritually minded. Now that person, especially as we see it at the end of the message, is not perfect. That person is a sinner, saved by grace, and can act carnally at times if they stop walking in the spirit, Paul said, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, what happens when you don't walk in the Spirit? You're prone to fulfill the lust of the flesh. But he's talking about the spiritual person whose life as a norm is filled with the wisdom of the Word of God and controlled by the Spirit of God. He receives the things of the Spirit of God. But then there's the third one, and that's in verses 1 and 3 3 of chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ, for ye are yet carnal. So he's writing to believers, and he is saying that they are carnal. Now, the word carnal here is the Greek word sarkikos, which means sensual and implies one that is under the control of the fleshly nature. So Paul is not denying the reality of the new birth of these people. These people have been born again. But he is saying that they are operating under the control of their fleshly nature, that they are spiritual babies. So who is the carnal Christian? It is the baby Christian. It is the new Christian that has not grown and has not matured in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. How long does it take a baby Christian to grow up? My mom and dad uh, both made professions of faith at the age of 35, the year I was born. But they never got into church. They were never discipled. They never, they never had anyone follow up and teach them the things of God. And for many years, they remain, remained as babies, and they didn't go to church. And it was very devastating to our family. After I got saved and went away to Bible college, eventually my parents started going to church. They saw the impact of Christ in my life, and I kind of, as their son, was trying as best as I could to disciple them, and by the time my parents went home to heaven, they had a wonderful testimony of knowing Christ. But they were a baby for a long, long time, and they were carnal. I remember when I was in high school, we had a field trip to Greenvale Community Center in Greenville, Tennessee. It was a center where they kept children who were born with brain deformities and those children never grew up. And I remember looking in a bassinet and the lady who was giving us a tour saying to me as a 14-year-old teenager that this boy that you're looking at who has the body the size of a baby but a giant head is actually 14 years old and he can't speak and he can't feed himself. He's still a baby. And we look at that kind of tragedy when, when someone in their humanity doesn't grow and they stay a baby all of their life. And we say, what a tragedy. And folks, it's even a greater tragedy when believers are truly born again, but they are not discipled and they do not grow spiritually and they stay carnal because that carnality is a hindrance to the gospel. Andrew Murray, the great preacher, pointed out the nature of the faith of Jesus Christ being parallel to that of a baby being born. Let me read from his book, quote, Regeneration is a birth. The center and root of the personality, the Spirit, has been renewed and taken possession of by the Spirit of God. But time is needed for His, the Holy Spirit's power, from that center to extend through all the uh, circumference of the believer's being. The kingdom of God is like unto a seed. The life of Christ is a growth, and it would be against the laws of nature and grace alike if we expected from the babe in Christ the strength that can only be found in the young men or the rich experience of the fathers. So folks, can I say, new baby Christians, we can understand their carnality because they haven't started growing yet. We have a nine-month-old new granddaughter named Gabby, Gabrielle. And when Gabby gets tired, she turns her head to one side, sticks the thumb in here, and starts tweaking her hair back here. You can tell she's ready for bed. And Ruth and I were saying the other day, isn't that cute? And then I made the comment, you know that's really cute, but when a 40-year-old gets tired and he sticks his thumb in his mouth and starts tweaking the back of his hair... It's no longer cute. So Paul is appealing that believers should not remain carnal. They should not remain babies in Christ. They should be growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. And if you are remaining carnal, if you're still a babe and you've been saved for years, you are abnormal. God does not intend that to be the case for you. And you're a hindrance the gospel of jesus christ babies don't produce other babies it's mature people who produce babies it's called evangelism and discipleship declaring his glory so paul talks about the character of who the carnal christian is so we've identified it biblically now what is the capacity and we're still on the first sub the first point second sub point here what is the capacity of the carnal christian And his capacity is contrary to the gospel of Christ, contrary to the glory of Christ. It's found in verse 2. Paul said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Paul is talking about the fact that a small baby does not have the digestive capacity for meat. It can only take milk. And he is paralleling that to the believer's capacity. If that believer is not growing in grace, if he is not applying what he is learning, if he is not spirit-filled, he's going to remain a baby and he'll never go on to the deeper things of the Spirit of God or the Word of God. The writer of Hebrews, who I like to say it's Paul, though I would not be dogmatic about that, but Paul, I believe, wrote in Hebrews 5, 13, and 14, that some of the Hebrew Christians were unskillful in the word of righteousness. Now, what's he talking about? The Bible. And then he goes on and says in verse 14, Strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use has their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know, the last time we went to visit Gabby, she had mushed up peas, and I had a steak. And I'm so glad I didn't have to eat those mushed up peas. And folks, we ought to be having a greater capacity for the word of righteousness by growing in grace and in knowledge of Christ. And then quickly, the third thing here, we're on the first point about the carnal Christian. The conduct of the carnal Christian is contrary to the advancement of the gospel. That what the carnal Christian does in the church works against the gospel going forward. So what does Paul say about these Corinthian babies, verses 3 and 4. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? So there are three things Paul says here about them. They're found in those words in verse 3. Number one, there is envying, which is unhealthy discontent. The word envy in the Greek language means zeal out of control. It is the idea of a person who has zeal for themselves and they don't want anybody else to get what they have. And if you want to see the meaning of this word envy, just watch the average youngest child when a new baby joins the family. At some point, that little child who has been pampered as the baby is going to get really envious of mom's attention to the new baby. Now, they may get over it, and they may grow out of it, and parents can help that. But it is this concept of sibling rivalry because you're getting attention, and I'm not. And it's called discord. It's called uh, discontentment. It's called division. Paul uses all of those words here. The second word is strife, and that's the unhealthy discord. The word strife means wrangling or squabbling. If you want to see biblical activity of carnal babies, go to the church nursery and watch two babies fighting over the same toy. That's the idea of this word. It's the discord, the strife. And then finally, unhealthy divisions. It's that concept they were guilty of bringing Christ down to the level of men and exalting Paul and Apollos. You know, it's interesting. One of the reasons I think Paul had in mind the transfiguration and what happened with the disciples is the thing that that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration and with Peter and James and John before that is exactly what's happening here at Corinth. Remember on the mountain last night when Peter said, Lord, let's make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. God was so offended that Moses and Elijah were put on the level with Christ, that he spoke from heaven and rebuked the disciples. This is my beloved son, hear him. Well, here at Corinth, they're putting Paul and Apollos on the same level with Christ, and they're damaging by their divisions the work of God. You know what destroys most fundamental Baptist churches? Carnal Christians who want to have strife and envying and divisions over wanting it their way, Uh, people who say, I have a right to my opinion, and I'm going to let them know what I think about that, just interpret that as they are a baby carnal Christian who is walking after the flesh, and they will damage the work of God because they're not declaring his glory. And that's what Paul is dealing with. So let's talk about these three groups of people, the natural man, the spiritual man, the carnal man. I hope tonight that you are not a natural man. I I trust you've been born again. If you've never been born again, then tonight you need to come to understand what the gospel is and put your faith in the risen Christ alone to save you from your sins. You need to do that. If you are a spiritual man which is someone who is in the Word, you you have the capability of meat, and you've been walking with the Lord, you've been growing. As a rule, your life is characterized by spirit filling. You better never forget that you're only one step away from reverting to carnality. And that's where the illustration breaks down. I'll never be a baby physically again, but sometimes if I get out of sorts with the Lord, I can act like a baby Christian and be even carnal, though, as a rule, I am spiritual. Now, why do I say that tonight? Folks, we need to remember that we all have flesh. So let me go down a a Tennessee rabbit trail for a moment and talk about flesh. I know there is theological debate about uh, uh, whether man is tripartite or bipartite, and you say, I don't know what that means tripartite, body, soul, and spirit, or bipartite, just soul and body, okay? And there's debate about that. And I, I understand that the people on the bipartite side are wrong and they have a right to be wrong. That's okay, yeah. <clears throat> okay? Man's a three-part spirit. I'm three-part being as far as I can tell, okay? But there's also debate about what the flesh is. There's also debate about what the, the man is. Uh, the old man is, and what the new man is. So, you can find a lot of commentaries, and lot, so be very careful on that subject. But let me simply point out when the Bible says that your old man was crucified with Christ, that passage in Romans is dealing with your former life, it does not refer to your flesh, because we still have flesh. Uh, after you get saved, you still have an enemy within that is going to try to work against you no matter how spiritual you become. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul study Romans 6 through 8 who, who talked about his own experience after salvation and this thing that is inside of him called flesh. Now, would we all agree that Paul was a spiritual man? He wrote by the Holy Spirit's leadership most of the New Testament apart from the epistles. But Paul said, that which I do I would not and that which I would not oh I do. Oh wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He was talking about his flesh. You know the Bible says that every man in this room has flesh that has lust that war against the spirit. Right. There's an enemy within. And so I can't let down my guard against that enemy. I've got to walk in the spirit so that I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I've got to stay in the Bible because God communicates his presence to us through the word of God. If you don't understand what I mean, just go without your Bible for a week and you'll say, where is God? But if you're in it and walking with him, you know where he is. So God's word and God's spirit minister to our heart. We have flesh. I've read in several commentaries, and I I think they're factual. You know, sometimes when people write commentaries and you can't trace it in in a secular way back to that time period, we, we don't know absolutely. But multiple respectable commentaries talk about what Paul was referring to when he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? According to commentators, during the Roman era, in certain parts of the Roman Empire, certainly near where Paul was from in the city of Tarsus. There was a common Roman practice that if a man murdered another man and was found guilty of that, the punishment was that the Roman government would lash the body of the dead man to the body of the living man who murdered the dead man. They would lash them face to face, arm to arm, torso to torso, leg to leg. And that was the punishment. And over the period of a very short time, the decaying corpse that had been murdered would actually kill the living person who murdered him. That is the imagery, according to commentators, that Paul would have been referencing. So you and I have lashed to our being something that is decaying and fallen and it's only the grace of God that will help any of us to not ruin our lives and ruin our families. How do we do that? By being spiritually minded. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, I can tell you, and uh, Brother John, maybe you have experienced this as well. There have been times where I've been prayed up and ready to preach, and sitting in the platform, and I'll have a thought go through my mind that is one of the most evil thoughts that I could ever have imagined, maybe relating to someone, maybe lust or ill or evil desire. And I think, where did that come from? And my Bible tells me, I have lusts that war in my members. I've got to stay on my knees and on my face before God, walk in the Spirit, stay in the Word, be a spiritual man. If you don't, you will be a hindrance to declaring his glory. So let's make it very practical tonight. How do you overcome pornography? We have had Baptist world missionaries who have had to leave the field because it was discovered that they were following pornography and were not dealing with it, and we had to deal with it. Uh We've all known of pastors who have run away with the church secretary and ruined their testimony. So how do we deal with this this problem of carnality that can raise its ugly head even if we're not babies? How do we deal with the flesh? And the answer is not by trying, though we do cooperate with God in the process, but the answer is by trusting It is by faith. The just shall live by his faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We go to the word of God and we claim the victory that Christ has already provided in his resurrection from the dead. And we walk by faith victoriously. The power, folks, what I'm saying is not of us. It's of Christ in us. It's the power of the risen Christ to give us victory. I've often given men a, a prescription for how to deal with lust, especially when they're dealing with lust after a, a woman who is not their wife. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives, your wife, <laughs> even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Though Paul was using the plural, he was obviously talking about individual, you know, monogamy here. Okay. So men, you're to love your wife. So when you are tempted with an evil thought. You turn every temptation into a meditation on Christ. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So when you are tempted not to love your wife, think about how Christ loves his bride. That's how you're to love your wife. Turn the temptation into a meditation on Christ and his glory. And it's the principle of replacement. So what, that was the rabbit trail. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the spiritual baby. Folks, we don't have to stay babes. We don't have to be carnal. We can be spiritual, and we can know victory and power through the risen Christ. So number one, carnality obstructs the gospel message. But number two, I want you to see, and we've just got a few minutes left, spirituality authenticates the gospel message. Now what does that mean? In verse 14 of chapter 2, Paul said, But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. For he that is spiritual judgeth all things. So Paul is contrasting the lost man and the spiritual saved man. And he says that the lost man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The Greek phrase, it means he does not accept. I have an unsaved brother named Sam who is two years older than me, And he knows and understands everything about the gospel, but he will not accept it. And the difference between Sam Stedman and Bud Stedman is when I was 10 years old, I accepted Jesus Christ. And my life as a believer has been a process of accepting God's truth and believing it and acting upon it. And that's called Christian growth. So what we find here is that a spiritual person authenticates the gospel by a willingness to accept spiritual truth. Men, when the preacher preaches from this book, you should condition your life to accept that and to make application. Now, if he gets out and is preaching something heretical that's not in the book, you've got a responsibility to hold him accountable, but your pastor's not going to do that, okay? Okay. So you are to accept spiritual truth. But then in verse 13, let's back up. We need to apply spiritual truth. He says, which things also, chapter 2, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Paul is saying here that the Spirit of God speaks to the Christian through the Word of God bringing words to those who are prepared to accept them. In other words, we not only accept it intellectually, we apply it to our life. That's why I think it was uh, Tuesday night, Pastor made the comment at the end of the service, you know, we're so conditioned to receive truth, and then we go out and we don't apply it. And folks, if that is your habit, your pattern, you will never develop into a true spiritual person because you you actually will become harder to the things of God. I know a lot of people today that have a lot of head knowledge, and they're out of church because they would not apply the truth that was given to them. So it's a willingness to apply the truth. And then thirdly, in verses 15 and 16, it is the concept of affirming the truth. So we, we accept the truth, we apply it, and then by applying it, we affirm it. Because he says in verse 15, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things. That phrase means that the believer who accepts and applies the word of God to his life will demonstrate his judgment before others. In other words, he'll prove that he is what he says he is. You know, one of the issues of your marriage, gentlemen, is your wife trusting you. And when men give into pornography and or immorality, they destroy the trust of their wife and then they ask forgiveness and they may get forgiveness, but then they can't understand why it's so hard for their wife to get over it and to return to intimacy and return to what she was before the infidelity occurred. And this is the issue, gentlemen. The thing that will do more to help your wife know that you love her is for her to know that you love Jesus Christ. For her to see you, you don't do it because she's watching, but for her to see you getting up and having your devotions. For her to see you making judgments based on the word of God. When you fill out your income taxes, she sees that you're careful and honest. That will build trust in her because you are affirming before her the truth of God. He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. It is the concept of you building your testimony and affirming it before others. And what does that do? That brings glory to Christ. It facilitates declaring his glory. You know, when this church is full of godly men who are known for being godly, who have a godly testimony, who are applying the word of God, evangelism and discipleship is going to take place. It's not something we force. It's the result of spiritual men in leadership. And then the third thing in closing I want you to see here is that He talks about Christ through all of this passage, and and I'll close with an illustration because the kids are going to get very rambunctious in a few minutes, and I think the ladies are probably done, maybe. Notice at the end of verse 16, he says, verse 16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of what? Christ, or of whom? At the end of verse 1, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as as unto babes in Christ. And then down when he's talking about the comparison of Paul and of Apollos and some said of Christ. So he is emphasizing through these first three chapters the glory of Jesus Christ, that Christ is is the superior wisdom of God. Christ is the superior power of God. And we're to be spiritual and like Christ by being changed into that same image. So we call ourselves Christians. And what does Christian mean? Like Christ, Christ Christ-like. I'll close with an illustration. Alexander the Great was one of the mightiest conquerors of war in all of time. When he died of malarial fever complicated by a profligate lifestyle at the age of 33, he had conquered the then known world all the way to India. It's amazing. History records that on one occasion, while he was sitting in judgment on a number of state matters in his court, this is while the army was in the field and they were doing battle, I think this occurred like maybe in Iraq. Uh, when he was battling there on his way to India. Uh, they brought a young soldier in who, in the midst of the last battle, had run from the battle. And that was a really big no-no in Alexander's army. This young man had deserted. He had run. And so Alexander brought him, they brought him before Alexander, and Alexander looked at the young man with those eyes, and he said, Young man, what is your name? And the young man very timidly said, Alexander. And the emperor raised his voice and said, What did you say your name is? And the young man said, Alexander, sir. And the emperor came down from his judgment seat and he grabbed the young man and he thrust him to the ground and began to beat him. And as he beat him, he cried. Young man, either change your conduct or change your name. Because he was a reflection on the warrior Alexander. And so can I say tonight, gentlemen, if you are going to live a carnal life, don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Because you will be a hindrance to the gospel. But if you have any desire to declare his glory among the nations in this community around the world, live a life that is like Jesus, being changed into his image. And that means abandoning the carnality of babyhood and as an adult, mature servant of Christ, guarding your life so that you don't fall back under the influence of the flesh and build a testimony for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. I have three children. By God's grace, all three of them love the Lord Jesus. They're all three married to godly spouses. They're all three in good, fundamental Baptist churches. That is because of the Lord's grace, not because of Bud Stedman. But I have prayed throughout my life, God, if I will ever do anything, that will damage your glory in the eyes of my children and now my grandchildren. Lord, will you just take me home before I do it? Because I want to impact my children and my grandchildren for the glory of Jesus Christ. And folks, that will not happen by carnality. I will not be a witness if I let carnality rule my life. If we're going to accept the challenge of declaring his glory we've got to deal with our carnality. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, I pray that you would take your word tonight and use it in our hearts. Lord, there are men here that father like me regularly cry out, "O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death?" But I'm so glad that Paul went on to say, "I thank God through Jesus Christ" Father, thank you that you've given us the victory. Help us not to try to have victory, but to enter into the victory that Christ has already purchased us by faith and to live victoriously because he is the one living through us. Help us to walk in the spirit and not give in to the lust of the flesh. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening.